Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rankening. Oh yeah, folks, this is the fourth time I have sat down and started to rank all of the games on my shelves. Two games at a time, comparing Arhile to My City, comparing Endless Winter to um, Come Together, and making a tough, seriously challenging series of choices for your amusement. You get to watch me squirm as I have to sort all of my babies. And I'm looking forward to it. But before we get to that, folks, I want to do a couple of shout-outs for stuff I recently found out about. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. First of all, if you are a fan of my show, and if you happen to be in India, in case you didn't know, this coming weekend on February 18th and 19th, 2023, MeepleCon is going to be on in Mumbai. It is India's first and only board game convention, and I just think that is so cool. I think this is the fourth year they've got running. They expect 15,000 attendees. They'll have 200 games for people to play, tournaments, workshops, all kinds of things. I got to tell you, folks, I hope this just continues to grow because this goes on my bucket list. Someday, I want to attend MeepleCom in Mumbai. Of course, I just want to go to India in general. But I just, just in case, somehow, you're in that weird Venn diagram of is a fan of Rado Runs Through, lives near Mumbai, and didn't already know, hey, the, um, the first and only board game convention in your neck of the woods is this weekend. You don't want to miss it. You can go to meeplecon.in. There's a link for it down in the show notes to learn more. And then... Another thing came to my attention. Um, just this week, a new article went up on the Los Angeles Times, a record of note here in America that is 13 under-the-radar LA spots to play tabletop games in. And I just thought this was really cool. The way they set it up, that you have a map of Los Angeles and where they all are, and you start reading, but then as you start scrolling through, it zooms in to where they are. One, I just thought this is a really fun little interactive article. And two... I just love the fact that this is existing in one of the biggest newspapers in America that they are giving um, attention to board gaming. And folks, if you, like me, would like to see the board game industry grow and thrive and um, you'll get more breakthrough, can I suggest you go check out this article? Link for it down in the show notes. If for no other reason to know the let the, the um, editors of the LA Times know that we're here, we want more content. So go check it out. Plus, it's, it's a fun article to read too. Okay, folks, that's it. I know what you've come here for. Let's the rankening resume. Because here we are, right where we left off. When we last we left our heroes, I had the tough choice of choosing between Cascadia and I believe believe it's not limes, it's limes. I just looked it up right before I started filming, and I've totally forgotten how to pronounce it. Limes, limes, it's Latin, you see. Um, I think for roads or something like that. So anyway, I gotta pick one of these. Which one do I choose? 
I don't think I need to describe Cascadia. I'm pretty sure this is not the first time I've described Cascadia. Everybody knows Cascadia. Really awesome tile layer, entwined drafting, fantastic stuff. Uh, Spiel des Jahres winner, or was it the Canter Spiel? I don't remember. The maze you might not remember. Let me tell you a little bit about it, folks. Here's the thing. It's been so long since I played it, I didn't remember it. But then I went back. I've still got it to this day. I watched my run-through, and I remember, oh, right! This is the game that killed Carcassonne for me. After I played this with Jen, I got rid of my Carcassonne and all of my Carcassonne stuff. Because as far as I'm concerned, this does Carcassonne better than Carcassonne. Now, maybe not as good as Carcassonne Castle. Someday it's going to make me compare Carcassonne Castle in this. But what is it? It's a bingo-style game, um, you know, kind of like Karuba, where the lead player draws a card, everybody else gets their own copy of that card, you're building a grid of cards, and um, instead of tiles, like Carcassonne, and putting down your workers on different spaces. And the thing is, um, it's you're working on your own thing instead of a communal thing, so there's no screwing over opponents by stealing their roads from them, a la Carcassonne. And all all the different ways you can score based on the, the, the lakes you're building and the, the farming fields and the towers, uh, they all have really unique and surprisingly complex rules. Like, really surprisingly complex. Um, and it's, it's just a really great game. And sadly, forgotten to the sands of history, but hey, that's why we're here, to talk about the hot new stuff and wonderful old stuff. And now, I have delayed long enough, I must choose. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I am going to upset everybody by giving it to Limay's. And that is because, as much as I love Cascadia, I love, um, oh, what was it called? The Boss Monster game. Uh, what was it called? Oh, Overboss. I love Overboss more. Overboss does everything Cascadia does and more, and it does it better. Um, so I'm going to give it to Lee Mays because after I, I was just watching this video a couple of days ago, and I'm like, oh, I got to get this game out and play it right now. It has been so long. I personally underappreciated this game. So it's Lee Mays for our first rank. All right, let's move on to the next one Harbor which is basically Tiny Epic Lahav, although Scott Alms did not design it, um, versus Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria. Okay. Hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria, of course, is a fantastic dice drafting game where we actually play as the, um, not the brave heroes who, who, um, save the land from the ravaging horde of monsters that were already there when we move in. We, instead, are the monsters who are literally being displaced by colonizers, and we are fighting to get our land back. Um, make no mistake about it, I have no idea if the developers um, had something in mind to uh, you know, have parallels to the real world. But to me, this has very much Star Trek socially conscious vibes using fantasy to relate real-world stories. Let's see here. Um... Oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on a second, folks. I gotta interrupt myself. Um, Harbor was designed by Scott Alms. All the more reason you could consider it a tiny epic lahav. Um, but of course, it was not from Gameland Games. It was from Tasty Minstrel Games. May they rest in peace. Oh, Tasty Minstrel Games, one of my favorite publishers of all time. So, um, anyway, Harbor is literally, has so much... Lahav vibes. You have a worker. You um, you're you're on a waterfront town. Although it is a cool little fantasy setting, and the special powers you get um, you know come from whether you're a goblin or a 
or a, a magician or all the various sundry things. It also has an expansion that added a lot more stuff. It also has an amazing solo mode. But what really makes Harbor special is what some people hated about it. It has one of the tightest, most interactive market systems I've ever seen in a game because the value of the goods that you can buy and sell and convert into points is constantly shifting. And so I saw, I remember some people complaining at the time, well, you can't make any plans. I'm like, no, that's wrong. This game is all about planning because you know exactly how the market will behave if you can anticipate what your opponents are going to do. And if you can see when an opponent is going to make that iron suddenly be worth nothing, then you know you better sell it now before they do. And But you also know that, oh, if iron gets sold by somebody, that's going to make lumber super valuable. So I better start recollecting lumber now before that happens. Anybody who tells you Harbor is a very reactive, tactical game, I will crush them in this game because this game is all about anticipating not where the market is now on your turn, but where it's going to be in two rounds from now, on your third turn from now. And it's brilliant. It packs so much gameplay. And But back to Shadow Kings of Valeria, it, I love... The, whether it was there or not, I love the real-world parallels that you actually get to play the colonized fighting, shaking off the colonizers. You get to see a story from a non-traditional narrative. And then on top of that, was it designer Stan Kardonsky? I think it was. And it's just an absolutely brilliant entwined dice-drafting game to boot. <clears throat> so this is actually really, really hard. Okay. Wow! Now, interestingly, Shadow Kings of Valeria is getting an expansion. But I don't have it, so I can't count that. The harbor does have an expansion that added so much. And, and, that, and that expansion does bump it up. But honestly, if you're going to, hey, what do you want to play for the rest of your life? You only have one game? I'm going to go with Shadow Kings and Valeria. I can't recommend it enough. But folks, do not be misled. Don't buy into the anti-hype. There is more to harbor than you may have heard. Okay, next up, Shakespeare versus Codenames. All right, do I need to say anything about Codenames? Uh, <clears throat> I will say one thing about Codenames, which most people think of as the ultimate um, party game for teams for people who are looking for something a little bit more crunchy. Such a cool, clever game. Such a monster, monster hit. Uh, um, I mean, uh, I bought Vlado Shavada is Porsche in his mansion. That's not true, but I'm sure... Check Games Edition. I can't even imagine how much money they've made off of that thing, considering how I mean how breakthrough pop culture it is. So I'm not going to describe that, other than to say, here's what people don't realize: Codenames is a fantastic cooperative two-player game. And honestly, I love it more than Codenames Duet to play two-player. And Jen, I played a lot of it, and I, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. So uh, that's all I need to say about Codenames. Shakespeare. What was that one? That was. That was, you know, you're in the time of Shakespeare putting on a play, and that was the worker placement game, right? Where um, er at the beginning of every turn, everybody had to pick how many of their workers they're sending out. So that it was, it was, it was like a precursor to Dominion. That this uh, Shakespeare was all about stronger workforces that go slower, so you don't get first dibs on the incredibly limited options that are available to you every round. The game is incredibly tight, tough card drafting and tableau building as you're trying to, you know, get the right costumes with the right actors and the right writing to put on the best play to score the most points. <clears throat> but every round with this simultaneous action selection of, right, what is my workforce going to be this turn and how will that change things? And it is stunningly gorgeous. I do not remember who the artist was, but man, whoever they were, I want to see them on more games because it is just... I mean, it it is up there with... Um, oh, uh, who's everybody's favorite? Uh, Vincent Dutre art. The art that you will find in Shakespeare. So, folks, I could just dr I could <laughs> drag it out for a while, but I got to pick one of them. 
And as much as I love code names, I've played it plenty in team. I I, I actually once did a live stream. I teamed up with uh, Shea Parker, uh, one of the contributors on my channel, to go up against another one of the contributors on my channel, um, Grant Lyons, and a stand-up comedian professional friend of his. And uh, yeah, that was a great time. So I have a lot of fond memories from code names. But Shakespeare, uh, uh, I gotta do it for the bard. It is such a really cool... Simultaneous action selection or, or worker placement building, I guess you'd say, is so good. One of my favorites. So I'm going to give it to Shakespeare. Okay. Then we've got Tessin versus Coimbra. Interesting. Okay. Coimbra. Very, very cool. Another dice worker placement game with some amazing components. I especially love the fact that after you've rolled your dice, you put them in these cute little dice tray, little mini dice caddies that look like little parapets on a tower. And it's just fun. And then you send them out there. And there's this whole thing about where you send them out. The order things will resolve. And it's really, really good. And it's just a fun, solid, crunchy Euro with great art. Was it Quan Chai Moria who did the art? Maybe not. I don't remember. But um, a great look, great dice worker placement with a twist. Um, but I had one problem with it that bugs me to this day. Heck, I was literally just talking about Coimbra when I filmed my run through for Rise last week. When I Coimbra is one of my poster children for this game could be ten times more thematic than it is if the designers would have just used names. Because all these people were recruiting, who are they? Tell me who they are, so I can make a connection of. Oh, that's the princess, or the prince, or the chancellor, or the the mayor, or whatever. And so I feel. I mean, as opposed to just I'm recruiting random people, and and, and things are just happening, and it just kind of divorces itself from theme in a way that always bugged me. So, that's the up and the down from Coimbra. Obviously, I kept it. I kept all these games, so they're all thumbs up. But, what about Tessin? Probably one fewer people have heard of. This is, this is interesting, in that this is a two-player head-to-head dueling game, which people wouldn't expect from me at all. I mean, I've said many times, I can't stand dueling wizards. Uh, you know, I, anything that takes its inspiration, if you go back far enough to, uh, Magic the Gathering. Even though I used to play a ton of Magic the Gathering with Jen back in the year, we used to play tournament level back in Seattle, back in the day, back in um, oh, Fallen Empires, uh, third edition, back in the 90s. But anyway, so why would I possibly like Tessin if it's about me and Jen sitting across from each other trying to conk each other over the head and beat each other? Real time, baby! It is a real time card game that actually, I would say, if anything, maybe owes more to. Uh, Battle lines, because we're real-time playing cards to different spots, trying to pay attention to what our opponent is doing. Um, oh, and aren't we creating like a discard pile? And ultimately, at the end of the game, we compare our discard pile to the other player's discard pile. It's been years. I have not played it since Malta, but I remember loving this game. And a game that at the end of the day is all about me reaching across the um, um, table and trying to beat Jen over and over again directly, ruin her plans, and yet we both love it. That means, that makes it something really special. So I'm going to give it to Tessin. Boop. Okay, Blackout Hong Kong. One of these can't go by without uh, throwing more Alexander Fister games in my face and make me squirm, make me sweat, versus Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. Now here's the thing, folks. 
Clank is not going to appear on my list at any time. Because after Jen and I finished Clank Legacy, and we had our cool, unique-to-us version of the world that is 100% replayable and compatible with most um, you know, Clank expansions and whatnot, I got rid of my original Clank and kept Clank Legacy expansions. Uh, because it has so much more personal meaning to me than just the same old map that everybody else has. And Clank, of course, is a phenomenal deck builder. It always has been, you know, fusing deck building with racing effectively. And so my version of Clank is Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. But how does it compare to Blackout Hong Kong? Nothing compares to Blackout Hong Kong. One of my absolute favorite Alexander Fister games. Alexander Fister, one of my absolute favorite designers. My number two designer, in fact. And this is one of his best. Um, we are. It is a competitive game. Which is kind of weird. It should, feels like it should be a co-op. But it is a competitive game where we are all going out into the dark streets of Hong Kong, trying to save people in the middle of an epic multi-day blackout. We are just, we are not heroes. We are not, um, you know, civil servants. We are just regular people who realize our fellow man is in danger and needs our help. And we just go out into the night, into the darkness and do whatever we can to help as many people as possible. And I love the story that is told playing this game. I, I mean, it is a celebration of true heroism and the best of humanity when in times of adversity, we come together. It's so easy these days to forget that nine times out of ten, that's what happens in the uh, face of turmoil and destruction. It's easy to be um, bitter and jaded and think, oh yeah, when the zombies come, everything falls apart and we all turn on each other. We don't. We turn towards each other. And that's what Blackout Hong Kong does. And, uh, and then on top of that, it has... An amazing, um, like a kind of a multi-bucket uh, deck building or engine building kind of thing that was borrowed from, uh, what would you call it? Uh, what was the original that uh, it was? Uh, Mombasa. And so it took the card uh, um, multi-bucket system of Mombasa, or now Skyminds, brought it into a theme I love. And so, yeah, comparing these two, Clank Legacy versus Blackout Hong Kong, of course. Blackout Hong Kong. Okay, then we've got um, Fjords versus Alchemidius. Two smaller titles. Uh, I bet you anything. Is there anybody watching this? Let me know down in the comments. And by the way, folks, let me know in the comments whenever you disagree, whenever you think I got it right or wrong, because I love hearing about it. And I want to know, does anybody know Alchemidius? Because if not, that's a real shame. This is a wonderful, real-time game where we are alchemists, where we are scientists. And basically what happens is, uh, there's a whole bunch of, really, for all intents and purposes, kind of algebra cards, colored cards, equal cards, greater than, less than cards. They all get played out, kind of randomly jumbled, um, to create this potential formula we're trying to solve. All the cards come out, and then players start real-time looking at it, thinking, how can I resolve this? How do I have to move these cards around, shuffle them, replace them with other cards, based on what's available, to um, solve the equation and make the formula that we are here to do? And the first player who thinks they can figure it out says, I got it! And then everybody stops, and then that person does their proof. Again, this game makes us feel like competing scientists, and I love it. Um, and if we got it wrong, then, oh, well, we lose some points, everybody else gains some points. So you don't just want to go off. I mean, you really need to make sure you've got it right. And these can be simple to solve. These can be really complex to solve. And it's so cool, and nobody knows about it. And it's Alchemedius versus Fjords. Now, Fjords, probably more people have heard of because it, it got a very nice, lavish 
uh, Deluxification 2.0 um, uh, a couple of years ago, I guess. Uh, Amy and Maggie covered it on the channel. Uh, but I, I've only ever played the original. I love it. This is interesting, too, because it is, uh, it's a two-player. Originally, it was two-player. Now you can play in teams up to four, I think. But it was about, hey, we're just laying tiles. The first half of the game is we're laying tiles, kind of expanding the world, kind of Carcassonne, although they're hex tiles instead of square tiles. And then the second half of the game is we are putting little buildings on tiles based on the world that we have collaboratively built to try to claim bigger sections and cut off our opponent. Um, Jen, I have a lot of fond memories playing this thing. Uh, and again, as I said earlier in this very episode, it is tough for a game to stick around um, if in, sp in spite of the fact that it is a game where players, where Jen and I go head to head and try to cut each other off. And so that is speaks high praise to it. But just talking about Alchemedius makes me want to play it again. So it's Alchemedius beats Fjords. Okay. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Crown of Amara versus Motainai. All righty. So, uh, Motainai, um, I'm, I'm, actually, probably people don't know about either of these, do they? Um, let's see. Motainai, of course, is, well, it's really weird. Uh, there is this very famous card game called um, Glory to Rome. And uh, it's been out of print forever uh, because it's all tied up in all kinds of legal ownership rights issues. And everybody is pretty, even though every publisher has knocked on the door saying, hey, can we get the rights to this? We would love to republish this game because it's one of the most well-loved and highly revered regarded card games of all time. It will eventually start showing up as well. And the rights owners keep saying, no, it will. I will take it to my grave. Wait, whatever it is, 85 years and when it's public domain, then you can have it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not in these conversations. That's the impression I get. So, the designer of Glory to Rome, over the years, has revisited this design in various ways, and one of them was Motainai. And I think Motainai probably comes closest to capturing the spirit of Glory to Rome, although it's set in a completely different um, setting uh, and all of that. Uh, it's, it's simplified, it's streamlined down, it's just a deck of like 60 cards, instead of like the really big thick deck you got. But, at its heart, it is all about the really tough choices you have to make when when you are, um, you know, taking a card and uh, tucking it under the left side of your player board so that it represents, I forget what, say if you tuck it on the left, it represents a customer. If you tuck it on the right, it represents things you have for sale. If you tuck it underneath it, it represents the resources you have to make the things to sell to the customers. Once you sell them, they go to the top and it represents points. And so every card is multi-use. And uh, that's what, that is the special sauce of a, uh, Matainai, um, which was the special sauce of, uh, what do you call it? Glory to Rome. And that has to go up against Crowns of Amara. And here's the deal, folks. I am so embarrassed to say it has been several years since I played Crown of Amara. All I need to do, I just need to look at it. Uh, if I could, if, if, if I could reach it right now, I would grab it on the shelves. I just need to, I just need like one sentence to remember what it is because there's like 400 games on this shelf, folks. I play literally hundreds of games over the last 10 years. I have done a run-through of, uh, I think, almost 2,000 games over the last 10 years. So sometimes 
things get a little iffy, and I do not remember the particulars of Crown of Amara. So here's the deal, folks. If you've made it this far, hopefully you're having a good time, which means you're going to want to come back because we've got a cliffhanger, folks. Before we come back, I will have gone back and checked out Crown of Amara so I can remember what it is, so I can decide what is better, Crown of Amara or Matainai. In the meantime, folks, if you have an opinion, please weigh in. Let me know in the comments, because this is where we will start the next episode of Crowd Sorcery. But for now, let's go on ahead and save our progress. It is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Of course, by the time you're seeing this, it's Valentine's Day is in the past, um, but you might still be seeing it in the month of February. So instead, let me say um, happy Black History Month, because folks, black history is American history. And I hope everybody is taking the opportunity to uh, celebrate, uh, you know, uh, black creators that they love. Me, I'm a huge fan of Our Family Plays Games. Huge shout out to them. There's a link for them down in the show notes as well. Show Mick and Starla some love. Go give them a subscribe, watch their videos, and I think you'll fall in love with them as much as I have done. But folks, that is it. Episode 4 of The Rankening is done. A bit shorter than the previous episodes, but what I'm thinking is I'm going to be doing shorter episodes more often in the future. I was doing like 40 minutes a month. I'm thinking, hey, maybe 20-minute episodes every couple of weeks. Who knows? But if you don't want to miss future episodes, then you're going to want to hit that right there and subscribe. And while you're waiting, uh, here's plenty of other things for you to check out. So, folks... That is it. I am done. And I had a timer to make sure I wasn't going to go over. And as you can see, we have got... Oh, man. Oh, you just saw... All right, there we go. We've got 13 seconds left to go. Although I think by now, 